Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing, amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I'm really excited for today's episode because I'm about to tell a story. Well, honestly, my guest is about to tell a story that will absolutely blow your mind. I mean, it is like inspiration central. And I don't care where you are, you are going to realize that there is light at the end of the tunnel when you hear this story. But before I do, I need to remind you, proud husband moment. My wife's book is finally out. It is finally in stores. You can finally hold it in your hands. And that is what everybody is doing. It is getting rave reviews. A Tribe Called Bliss is literally knocking it out of the park. People are freaking out over it. They can't believe the untold crazy story in it that nobody has heard before about Lori and some of the stuff that has happened. Go out, get this book, A Tribe Called Bliss. I don't care if you buy it online or if you go get it in one of the bookstores. It is absolutely going to change your life. And better yet, grab one for a friend because the book is all about tribe. And it literally teaches you in there how to use this book to build the type of tribe that is going to make you successful beyond your wildest dreams. Now, speaking of being successful beyond someone's wildest dreams, we are about to sit down with a friend of mine named Mashid Bargisavar. Now, here's the best part. I started out by telling you that she had an incredible story of being at the depths, I mean the lowest point, and then coming back bigger and better than ever. But what you're not going to believe is that part of that story talks about somebody that she was betrayed by, somebody really close to her. And so if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you're having trouble with forgiveness or where you feel like somebody did you wrong financially, this story is going to help you get past that. It's going to help you release those old stories. It's going to help you learn how to forgive and move on. And you're going to be beyond inspired. Now, Mashid is literally one of the most successful real estate stories ever in Las Vegas. She sold over $100 million in sales. Let that sink in a moment. Over a hundred million dollars in real estate sales the past few years. As a matter of fact, it was the Young Professionals Network that named her top 40 under 40 realtors for four years in a row. That is unheard of. She's also an incredible entrepreneur. She invests in some of the best real estate properties all around Las Vegas. But here's the best part. Mashid is very involved with giving back and she partners with Make-A-Wish Foundation, a foundation that is really near and dear to Lori's and my heart. And she is really involved with them. And she has some incredible stories, including the story of how she became interested in partnering with Make-A-Wish. So whether you are in it for inspiration, whether you need a breakthrough, whether you're at a low point and you need to find light at the end of the tunnel, or whether you just want some good old-fashioned money and, and financial motivation, this is the episode for you. So get ready, listen up, here we go. Mashid, how are you? I'm so excited to have you on. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm so excited to be on. <laughs> Thank you. I know we we're just chatting right before the show here. And you're one of those people that I met at Bliss Project, you know, my wife's annual event. And you started to tell your story a little bit. And then 
um, you know, we got to know each other a little bit on social media and I found out there are all of these incredible layers to you in terms of success and backstory and, you know, even like a great big dip and then all the great things that you do for Make-A-Wish. So I'm really excited to get into your story and start peeling back those layers because there's going to be a lot of people, I think, that are really inspired by this. Yeah, and I definitely want to be able to help a lot of people who are in a position that I used to be. And by the way, I really appreciate you, you know, being open to listening to me at uh, Lori's Bliss event. That was really nice of you. You know so, what? It, it obviously, it's meant to be. It's meant to be. I, I've been wanting a platform to talk about my story, so thank you. <laughs> uh, see, it was totally meant to be. So here's I know, how this. Kind of into you too, so. I know, I know. So here's yeah. how this platform works. Um, we start out with some rapid fire questions, just because it's a fun way to help my listeners get to know you in a hurry. And then if there's something like really good that comes up, and we want to do a deep dive on it, we'll circle back to it. Are you in? Yeah, I'm in. Cool. All right, we'll start really easy. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in San Jose, California, and Los Gatos, both of those, and Bay Area. Where do you live now? I live in Las Vegas since 2003. Awesome. And what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote? Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't actually an Arab proverb that I like very much. It says, if you have much, give of your wealth. If you have little, give of your heart. Whoa, that is like what this show is all about. That is awesome that that is actually <laughs> your favorite quote. What a cool proverb. I love that. I love yeah. that. Okay. We might have to circle back to that one. What's one of your superpowers? My heart. Oh, that's a good one. And what is one thing that you're afraid of sometimes? One thing. Uh, I. <laughs> Public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a good way to practice it. Then. I think no one sees me right now. <laughs> oh, this is a good way to practice it. What is one of your all-time favorite books? Um, Marianne Williamson's The Law of Divine Compensation. That helped me tremendously. Oh, that is a really good book. Everything she kicks out is a good book, but that's a great one. Oh, my God. She's amazing. She's like no other woman I've ever met. I've never met her, but I will. Oh, yeah, for sure you'll meet her. <laughs> She's amazing. Who is somebody who has changed your life? Personally or somebody that I don't know? Whoever's changed your life, no matter what. Uh, I have a business partner that most people don't really know about. And I always tell them, like, you're like this God-sent angel that came in my life at, like, the perfect time. And he changed it in so many ways, not by only partnering with me and believing in me, but just seeing how he lives and his mindset about wealth and love and life and everything. Oh my God. He's just changed me in an insane amount and inspired me so much. This mm. guy's amazing in so many different ways. I'm like, who are you? I've never met anybody like him in my life. Oh, I love that. We all need that person in our life. So what is yeah. one of your all time favorite accomplishments this far? Uh, favorite accomplishment, I guess it would be, digging myself like out of a hole, taking myself from like bankrupt to having an abundance of all the things that I dream of. We're totally going to circle back around on that one and go deep on that one. A <laughs> couple more quick questions for you. What regret do you have? I don't really, I don't have any. It's funny. My coach asked, I have a coach I talked to. He asked me this yesterday. I don't have any. Because if I did, then, I mean, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. And I believe I'm meant to be exactly where I'm at right now. 
you know what's funny? All the top people I interview, that is always their answer. And I think it's because people who have done a lot of self-work, they learn yeah. kind of that there are no regrets. There are only things that built you up. Yeah, exactly. 100%. So I, I'm everything that happened, I'm completely glad it happened. It was all meant to. Very cool. Last rap, last rapid fire question. What is something generous you've done recently? Uh, for my brother, I did the other night, we went to a Vegas golden Knights game with my friend, Jerry Rice. And my brother was like begging for him to sign a Jersey. So I did that for him. <laughs> That's awesome. What a legend. Jerry Rice is a legend. I grew up just loving, I'm a diehard Packers fan, but I used to love the 49ers. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. We're diehard Niners fans. Yeah. He actually, so it, was not, it wasn't easy. I mean, he already has my, uh, a Niners jersey that Rice signed, but he wanted him to sign a Golden Knights jersey and somehow <sighs> made that happen for him. That is really <laughs> cool. For Jerry. What a yeah. cool experience for him. And that's just one example of, you know, how you have worked yourself into a life where you have proximity to these incredible human beings that are doing big things or have done big things. And it's had a profound effect on your life. But before we go there, I want to start with your backstory, right? So, you know, like I said in the intro, you are one of the absolute top real estate professionals in all of Las Vegas. You've won all of the awards I mentioned. But where did this incredible knack for sales and business come from? You know, ever since I was a kid, I always... I think so. My dad and my mom were very different. My dad had this mindset of working a lot and making a ton of money, love making money. And my mom was more afraid of losing all the money. She was always worried and don't spend, don't spend. And my dad would always want to spend. So it was like asking my mom for stuff because my dad was always at work, asking her for stuff. She would always say, no, 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 it's too expensive. And I got so tired of hearing it. So, like at eight years old, I'm like, I'm just going to make my own money. Um, because I couldn't handle her saying no to me anymore and stressing about it. I'm like, I don't want to stress about the things that I want. So I would cut the roses outside our front yard and I would like go inside and wrap foil around it. And then I would go door to door and sell those roses so I could have extra cash. No so, way. At eight years old. Eight years old. I swear to God. Yeah. That like, is awesome. Like, that is the ultimate like quote, you know, lemonade stand only improved. <laughs> Yeah. And like back then it was like, you know, your parents let you be outside in the neighborhood alone. I think nowadays it's a lot different. But, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah, that's where it started. Just hearing her say no to me all the time. I just got sick of it. I'm like, I'm just going to make my own money so I can have my own freedom to get whatever I want to get whenever I want it without asking. It's amazing at such a young age, how you can recognize that and what your parents do or what your parents say, start to literally yeah. form your financial outcome way down the road. So would you credit yeah. your dad because of his desire to make lots of money or would you credit your mom with you being in such a great financial position today? So I think from both of them, um, different things I would credit for. With my mom, I would definitely credit her for being the responsible one with money. She's very good at saving <laughs> and she's also very... She's smart with investing as well and just knowing that you need to be responsible with your money. My dad, on the other hand, is not the most responsible or was not the most responsible person with money, but he had like that more of a wealthy mindset. Like he wasn't afraid to spend. He wasn't afraid to give. He wasn't afraid to make people 
happy. And he wasn't afraid to go after what he wanted to make his bigger dreams come true, you know, sell the house, upgrade to a new one. Like he was never afraid. He just didn't know how to grow it and keep it growing and make it work for him, basically. Wow. So you came from the best of both worlds, quite honestly, to, to form who you are today. Do you remember any moment or any lesson growing up or anything that really stuck with you that's added to your success story today? From my parents? From anybody. Uh, I think a lot, like, I would pay attention to a lot of their good friends around us and seeing, like, their lifestyles and the homes that they had and the family life and the, you know, the amazing wife and the husband. I think I would look at all of that and be like, okay, I want that. I would want that. Like, I would create my future by seeing their friends around me, the ones that lived the life that I, I liked. That's funny. I did the same thing growing up. So I grew up in like upper middle class type of family in the, in the Midwest, but it was yeah. my parents' friends that had their own businesses and that were absolutely just crushing it. I remember being in their homes and yeah. looking around the home saying, this is what I want. And literally having conversations with the parents while all the other kids that I was supposed to be friends with were out playing. I'd be having conversations yeah. with the parents about their business and about life and money. And I, so much of who I am today was formed. Yeah by those people in my life. I should go back and tell them actually, by the way. Oh my God, that's so funny. I, I would do the same thing. I would, and I would love it. I would sit in the living room with the adults because I wanted to hear what they talk about. And then like, I would pay attention to like one of the wives so much because she was like really well put together and so loving to her husband and always like very catering and her kids were like all well behaved. And I would totally just like be in their realm and learn from, take, you know, bits and pieces from each one that I like the most. That's amazing. And so anyone that follows you now, they see that you've got this wildly successful life and you really love nice things and you're always put together. So were you always driven for this level of success and wealth or when did that desire start showing up? You know what? I really was actually like right after high school, I went to college, obviously, and I quickly, quickly just wanted to graduate. I wanted out of college because I wanted to be free. Uh, I graduated in four years. And then I was just, yeah, I was always dying to make money. But at the time, I didn't know, like, for what purpose, to what extent. All I knew is I want to make money to be able to buy myself whatever I wanted, go wherever I wanted. Like money was like a form of freedom and power for me, you know? So yeah, it was always in me. As soon as I moved to Vegas after college, um, I worked with my father's business because I couldn't work like nine to five for anybody. I was never able to. All the jobs that I had in high school, I actually got fired from because I just had an issue with listening to what somebody would tell me what to do. Uh, so yeah, when I moved to Vegas, uh, I worked with him and yeah, as far what as what was business, his business at that time? So my dad was always in that car business. He owned car dealerships growing up in San Jose. And then he moved to Vegas and opened a car business in Vegas, used car. And then they would wholesale cars. Him and my brother, they would wholesale cars to the new car dealerships in Vegas. And what? they were making like a hundred thousand a month at times. They were doing amazing. What uh, did you learn when you were working in the car business? Um, I learned that I don't want to work in the car business. 
You know, that's where I worked when I dropped out of college. I spent two years in the car business and I loved it and I crushed it. And I also learned if I ever want a family, I need to find something where I'm not working nights and weekends. But I, I like, I learned so much about sales and leadership and, you know, human interaction. Uh, Those two years were so formative for me. It was crazy. So that was the thing for me. Like I was right out of college and working with my dad and it was like easy money. He would tell me what to do. He actually gave me the confidence that I needed to become a businesswoman. And I learned that while working with them in the car business, like he would have, I would have to like go and see the GM for a specific reason. And I would be so nervous. I'm like, Oh my God, I cannot go talk to the GM of an auction. I'm going to die. And he would make me, he would be like, who cares? He it's, he's just another human and it's not a big deal. So he would push me in these meetings with these people that at the time I thought were like, oh my God, so big and, you know, intimidating. But he would, he would make me do things I didn't want to do. And that really gave me the confidence that I needed. But also I wasn't very business minded at the time at all because it was just all happening for me very easily. My dad had everything set up. I was just collecting a paycheck and not paying much attention. You know, I was in my early 20s and just going with it you know the market was great in in vegas at the time and people were buying homes and my dad's like my dad my brother wanted to buy homes so i was like okay i'll buy a home but i didn't know anything like i didn't know anything about loans i didn't know what interest rate was for i didn't know nothing i just bought and took money from my dad and would sign and would just sign off on anything and suddenly i have two homes and a piece of land but i didn't even know what i was really doing at all was this when you were 22 years old? I think I saw in your bio that you started flipping homes and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so, I, was, I was 22, 23. I started with my dad and my brother. All right, so you partnered up with uh, dad and brother, and you guys are starting to do really well. Then what happened? Yeah, so at the time, my dad also... My dad loved to gamble. Uh, He would gamble a lot. I mean, growing up, he was a bookie, which is why I know football so well. I had to, like, watch football every Sunday no matter what. (laughs) Yeah, but so he gambled a lot. And he also, like, didn't maintain, like, a healthy lifestyle, you know? Like, he wasn't about, like, I need to wake up early and go to the gym and take care of myself. It wasn't about that. So he wasn't really paying too much attention to his business and he was taking it out like chunks of money at a time and going to the casinos and gambling. And he wasn't even realizing that, you know, you ha- he has a gambling addiction. Like he was very in denial and not paying attention. So me and my brother would butt heads with him. Eventually my brother left and that's when I started getting, uh, went to school to get my real estate license because I couldn't handle it anymore because he really wasn't paying attention to anything and the business was going down. He wasn't paying attention to his health, to the money, to nothing. He was just like addicted to that gambling, basically. And you could see it coming, right? So you're like, I'm out of here. I need a backup plan? Definitely. I could see it coming. Yeah. When you're pulling out like thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 out of the account and suddenly it's like literally going to like shit. Like, yeah, I saw it coming and I started freaking out actually. And yeah, that's when I got my real estate license. Um, but that wasn't the easiest thing either. When you first start in real estate, you know, it's so difficult, so difficult. Um, I don't even know how I did it, but in the beginning, I guess, you know, beginner's luck, I got a client quickly through MySpace actually in 2006. So thank God I had like one closing really quick. So I had some money to keep me going because I had left my dad. 
So you had just uh, gotten your real estate license. You closed your first deal from MySpace. Thank God for MySpace, by the way. <laughs> the original social media. And dad was gambling yeah. everything away. And you saw the writing on the wall. What happened next? Yeah. Ah, oh, God. Such a long story. So when you sell a car, like, to these people that they buy cars from him, they have to get finance. He basically owed the banks that finance all these people. He he owed them money and then he had to give the title to the people that bought the cars or to the banks that financed them. But he had taken that money and gambled it and lost it, you know? So he owed money to the casinos. And this one day, it's like six in the morning, my mom was visiting Vegas from San Jose and I go to take her to the airport. This is like 2007, I think, 2006, 2007. I go to take her to the airport and I'm like in my pajamas too, or like this like nightgown little slip. And I guess I don't fully stop at a stop sign and the cop pulls me over because of that. And then he comes back and he goes, I'm sorry, but you have a warrant out for your arrest. I'm going to have to you. Yeah. I was like, what? A warrant? Like I was in shock. I'm like, no idea. (laughs) That's like the only thing I can think of. I'm like, oh my God. And my mom is like, freaking out and flipping out. So this guy arrests me in front of my mom. And, you know, my mom's just like throwing out all these cuss words at my dad and da, 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 da. And it was like one of the worst experiences ever to be handcuffed and you're like a little slip in a cop car when you're like, but I didn't really do anything, you know? And it, but really I did, I did what my dad told me to do, but inside I'm thinking, I didn't even do anything. I didn't even do anything. I mean, this, how, well, I can't even imagine you're being handcuffed. You don't know yeah. why in your, yeah. your pajamas, in your slip on your way to yeah. the airport. Yeah. What was racing through your mind? You had to think something. Man, I was dying. First of all, it's like the scariest thing to be handcuffed and like in that cop car is so uncomfortable. I was just dying. I was miserable. But thank God, like out of this shitty situation, that cop was like the nicest cop ever. He was so nice. He kept turning around and making sure I'm comfortable and I'm okay and apologizing. Like, he's like, I'm sorry. I had to do it, you know? And I think he told me at the time, I think he was saying something about bounce checks. He's like, your name is in check systems or something. Mm -hmm. I believe he told me maybe. And then we go to jail. And the funny thing happens actually when they put me to jail. But before the funny thing happened, actually, I'll tell you. They treated me like I was a criminal. So that was like the worst experience of my life. I just wanted to keep like cry because the cops pat you down. Yeah. And treat you like you're just nothing. Like you're shit. Like you're the most horrible human being. So I was dying inside. And then they finally put you and sit you down and I'm like crying. And then there's like the guys on the left side. And you know who was sitting on the left side? Uh, OJ Simpson. (laughs) Come on. I swear to God. So it was like, this was like 11, 10 years ago, I think. Yeah, or maybe almost 12. When OJ was arrested in Vegas for like stealing something at South Point. Yeah, I remember that. It was uh, yeah. memorabilia. Yes, exactly. He was sitting there and like everyone's like trying to like talk to him or laughing or saying stuff, you know. And then like there's a little TV in front of you too, up like on the ceiling. And the news is showing how OJ's arrested. It was like the weirdest thing. <laughs> And he's like right next to me. I'm like, wow, this is quite an experience. <laughs> that is uh, that is hilarious. That's crazy. Okay, so you're arrested. Yeah. You're in your slip. You you go from having the scariest moment of your life to hanging out in jail with O.J. Simpson. Then what? 
And then I'm just angry and furious. Like all I can think about is how angry I am about my dad. Cause I, I think I, by that time I found out that it was what it was uh, for. And so I just start calling my brother to bail me out. And like two days later, him and his wife bail me out. But the entire time in there, I was like crying and crying. And then the more you cry in there, the more you get made fun of. So apparently you shouldn't cry in jail. But there was this Good one advice that- for the listeners, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And they were, for some reason, they would call me the Beverly Hills girl. I'm like, I'm not even from Beverly Hills. But they were calling me the Beverly Hills girl. But I made friends with this one girl who was really, really like big and tall. And for some reason, she just loved talking to me and became my friend. So like she made me actually feel safe because there's a lot of people that would like talk shit to you and that would freak me out. But thank God for her, that big girl, whoever she is, she really helped me through that. That is crazy. Okay, so you get, <laughs> you get out of jail, and I just can't imagine, you know, this is your father. You feel scared. You feel betrayed. You don't know how it's going to unfold. Did you have to go to court, I'm assuming? Oh, my God. So I had liens on all my properties. I had two properties, and then I had I had taken out $50,000 cash from one of the properties and bought land with it. So that was all gone, basically, because I had liens. And these liens were like over $300,000 like that the banks and these corporations wanted money for each of them. And then right around the same time, I was like, thank God, at least I have three deals closing. I had these three big deals that were in Lake Las Vegas, which mm-hmm. at the time were like really expensive, luxurious homes. So. Mm-hmm. Those three, my commissions added up to $283,000. And they were all closing within like a week and a half of each other. Then the broker that I was hanging my license with, she stole all three commissions, made up all these lies and took it to the real estate division against me and saying, these are the reasons why I'm keeping matching commissions and forged my signature on all this paperwork and stuff. So then I'm like, holy shit, like, I have no money from my dad. She just took all my money. I have, I'm being sued by all these corporations, liens on my property. I don't even have the money to sue the lady who's stealing my commissions purposely. So I was basically dying. Like, I was, like, suddenly, like, everything is being taken away from me all at once, you know? And I had a boyfriend that was cheating on me. (laughs) So you were broker, like, lowest point of life. You're broker than broke. Everything is collapsing around you. Yeah, and it's like, and the crazy thing is the broker who stole my commission, she teamed up with this other agent in that brokerage. She had a Remax franchise, so there was, very, there was just a few agents. She teamed up with another agent and a couple other loan officers, all of them against me, to like stick to that story to be able to get away with keeping my commissions. It was the craziest thing ever. It was like a movie. And I'm just like, why? Like, I can't believe these people. Like, why? Would any of these people intentionally hurt me? Why would my dad, why would, you know, the broker, like the agent that I thought was my really good friend, those lenders I thought were my good friends, I would party with them all the time in Vegas, you know? Why? Like I I couldn't understand why anybody would intentionally want to hurt somebody and steal from them, you know? So I think that's the hardest part. So when did you begin to dig out? How did you even see light at the end of the tunnel at this point? Oh my God, it was so hard. Um, thankfully my mom, she was in California. So my mom loan, uh, gave me $10,000, uh, to help me like get by a little bit. And then 
this one night when I, I'm literally in bed just crying, thinking like, this is, the end, this is it. Like, this is, you know, I might as well just go get a nine to five job, use my degrees, you know, move back home and with my mom. And then this guy comes on TV who I had never heard of in my life. And his name is Joel Austin. And I see him on TV and he's talking and I'm like, what is he even saying? Like, I was never raised to believe in like the spiritual stuff or like God or, and if like my grandparents were religious and would pray to God, but I never was taught what it means to give back or what it means to believe in a higher power. I was never taught any of this stuff. So when I see this man talking on TV, like for some reason I was super drawn to him and I'm just listening and listening. And I believe at the time he was like talking about planting the right seeds and it'll come back to you doing the right thing. And it'll come back to you and certain things like that. And it was like, he was waking me up. Like he had a really big effect on me. So I listened and that same night, literally I go to Walmart cause I had to get some stuff and yeah, I went to Walmart. <laughs> 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 I go to Walmart and I'm getting stuff and then I see right next to me his book is right like literally right next to me Joel Austin I'm like oh my god I just saw that guy on TV so I was like well maybe I should get this book and be it at that time I had just graduated I was out of college for like three years I was not reading shit I never cared to read books at all I didn't even read them in college like I would go return them and get the cash back I would never ever read and I got this book because I saw him on TV I started reading that book and reading that book and that book started changing my life. And that was like keeping me alive and giving me faith. That's and incredible. Then, and how has it changed yeah. you today? Are you really strong in your faith today because of that? Oh my God. Insanely. I think that was what put me on the spiritual path. That what that, yeah. Ever since 2006, 2007, I've been on this path of, doing the right thing, you know, a solid foundation of integrity. And he, God, he opened my eyes so much. I've read hundreds of books now ever since then, more than hundreds. Like I've always been reading. I got his book and then I got another and I got another. And all those books started changing my life because I started believing in them. And little by little, everything started to change around, you know, like somehow, I would get a rental client and I'm able to make my rent. Somehow this would appear, but it would all happen because I was just doing the right thing and being the right person and putting out the right energy. And also, you know, I had the right intentions behind it, but it was these books that were helping me change my life. That's absolutely incredible. So let's talk about the financial rebuilding. Um, yeah. You found faith. It gave you inspiration. You start to see light at the end of the tunnel. And how did you begin to put together, you know, the insane career and wealth that you have today? Okay. So like after all that happened, I, that broker, I also tried to sue, but she filed bankruptcy. So I never saw a dime of that. I had a three-year lawsuit with a division in her. Then I had all the lawsuits with my dad and I had like no money, you know? So but it, long story short, I ended up filing bankruptcy. I think it was like 2009 or something around then. And I couldn't even open a bank account for three years. They would not let me open a bank account because my name was in check system. Wow. So after that, I was like, oh, my God, I hate banks. I never even want to like have a mortgage again with a bank. I just hated banks because they treated me so bad when really I hadn't done anything. Yeah. Anyhow, or I, in my mind at the time, I thought I hadn't done anything 
anything. Uh, so my mom loaned me the 10,000, which helped me. She helped me open a bank account. It's the weirdest thing ever. I mean, can you imagine not having a debit card or credit card or anything? It's so weird. Seems impossible. Like, yeah, I can't imagine. I, I couldn't even like stay at a hotel. I was like, uh, I don't have a card. Like I couldn't do, and there's so many things like I couldn't do that I had to learn how to do on my own, you know? But, um, anyhow, like, uh, I moved into an apartment. I sold all my furniture and what was left of it. And like, in at this apartment that I moved into, it was actually a high rise. I moved into it knowing for some reason that I would get business within that high rise. It was brand spanking new at the time. And it was like ghost town in there. There was like nobody. But then I made friends with the neighbor and the neighbor ended up wanting to rent their property and then ended up wanting to sell it. And like here and there, like bits and pieces of clients would like fall into my lap that would help me get by. But I was literally living month to month for at least three years. I know that for a fact. At least three years I was living month to month. Like God, I didn't even know like when my next paycheck would come, but it would always appear on time somehow. But it was these books I would keep reading that was like telling me to do everything the right way and create. And I learned how to journal and write things down. And I would write down what I wanted as far as even like the type of clients that I wanted with my business. And then they would appear. So by 2009, my dream client appeared and that changed my life forever, basically. Who's the dream, <laughs> who's the dream client? Can you, t can you say or why or? Yeah, well, he was an, he's an investor from Houston. He wanted, he bought almost 80 properties from me in Vegas. Wow. And, yeah. And be, he bought properties between 2009 to 2015. And now I've been selling all of his properties for him since 2015 and renting them out. But this man literally changed my life. That's incredible. Is that the business partner that you were referring to early, earlier? No, 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 no. So totally no. different. Another one. Yeah, yeah. But as far as like the like client wise, this guy changed my life, and you know he's like family now. We have a great relationship. But and I totally believe he came along because I believed in that. Mm -hmm. Like he was all cash. Everything he did was all cash. He would purchase sight unseen. It was like so easy. And I believed that I could have it easy. I'm like, I deserve it. I went through years of hell. Um, I, I actually want to go there in a minute about, you know, thinking something and then having it manifest for you. But before I go there, I've got to ask you, like, how are things with your dad now? How did you ever learn to forgive him? Did you ever forgive him? Yeah, I did forgive him. Um, it's probably the books taught me how. But, I mean, really, I forgave him for me because... A, I know my dad, like, he never thought, like, he just doesn't think straight. Like, I know his background, you know, like, he he has such a great heart and he's done so much good stuff, too. Like, he wasn't intentionally trying to hurt me. And I forgave him because I knew deep down I'll always be okay. I'm like, I will always be blessed, so it's fine. And hopefully I can help him. Poor guy has, you know, he had a heart, couple heart attacks at the time, too. Um, so now I actually own the house that he lives in and he lives rent free. Wow. What a turnaround. I mean, I hope people yeah. catch that from the man yeah. that puts you in this position and happens to be your father. So it stings even worse. You know, the reason that you were arrested, put in jail, you know, went bankrupt, had to work your way up. You now provide the place for him to live totally free and clear. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's crazy because it's like he did so much good stuff too, you know, 
Like it was because of his business that I was ever even able to buy properties. Um, he, thank God, got me a car before he lost everything, but I had to still pay for that car. But if I didn't have a car, I couldn't have done real estate. I mean, as a child, he would do whatever like he could do to make me happy. You know, there's always good stuff he did too. Not to say that it's okay to do the wrong, you know, because you can't do the good and do the bad. You just got to be good, which is why I think too for him, he always thinks like, why did all this have to happen to me? Why am I in this position? He still hasn't been able to make back his money and I still help him and, you know, support him and give him stuff. But he always thinks why, but it's like, I tell him you can't be good and do the wrong. You can't, it's no, there's no gray area. You know, yeah. you just have to always do the right thing. And that's how you're able to keep a solid foundation. That's how it doesn't crumble. That's how things don't fall apart. Because you're never doing the wrong thing or thinking the wrong way or cheating anybody even a penny. But for some reason, he doesn't understand that. And I don't know if it's like an old school way of thinking or what, you know. Sometimes they don't want to change, I guess. That's such strong, such good advice. So what's your advice for people out there that find themselves in a situation where they're having trouble forgiving somebody over a financial wrongdoing? So a lot of people get stuck here. You know, something gets burned really bad. And then they never go there again. They never try again. They literally just get in their own way. What's your advice for these people? It's crazy because this has gotten so easy for me. You literally have to just do it for yourself and keep your power knowing that God or the universe or whatever will take care of you because you know your intentions. You know you have the right intentions for yourself and for the world. You know your greater purpose. You know all this stuff. So you know you'll be fine. So you just have to, you know, let it go and forgive them, bless them and put them on their way and you move forward. Like for me, it's gotten really easy. <laughs> mm, I love that though. That's going to free so many people up. So I want to shift gears oh. a little bit, uh, you know, and here you are one of the, the, the most successful real estate professionals in all of Las Vegas and you're financially crushing it and you hang out with and work with a lot of celebrities and pro athletes. So I want to ask you about them because as you know, this podcast is, is all about when good people make good money, they do great things and it's helping people bust through some of their limiting money mindset beliefs. And one of the most common beliefs out there is that rich people had to do something wrong to get there. They had to screw someone over or they had to cheat, lie and steal or somebody has to have less because they have more. And you know, you know, that's not the case. I know that's not the case, but a lot of people still feel that way. So let's talk about some of these very affluent, incredible individuals that you work with on a regular basis. Um, what have you learned about these type of people by working so closely with them? And how do they view money and wealth? Okay, well, for example, talk about my business partner who's one of the wealthiest men I know. He, God, he is always helping people more than he even talks about like always anybody that comes his way that needs help he is so open to it so open to it and I ask him I go how are you never stressed or worried about your own money you know and he goes because I'm a lucky man I'm like that's it <laughs> he goes yeah he's like it's always been in my mind that I'm a lucky man and I know I'm lucky and I've and I've always felt that way and my and life has always been so good to me. He's like, God is always so good to me, blesses me, and da-da-da. 
And be it, he's working all the time. Like he's always creating new businesses, investing his money in different businesses and stuff. But this guy's always, always, always helping people. He helped me. That's how he became my business partner. I needed to own properties and I couldn't get these banks to finance me anymore. But I was, I had a large amount of cash from real estate deals. So he partnered with me to buy properties with me. And he only barely knew me at the time, you know, but yeah, he's somebody I definitely learned a lot about. It's incredible. Why do you think it is that, you know, all of these wealthy individuals get such a bad rap when really they're doing so much good? You know, I don't know. I think there are those obviously that are rich and maybe they don't do so much good, you know, but I don't want to be around those people. Like I've always, I've, I write down the type of clients and the type of friends and the type of people I want to be surrounded by. And they're, you know, the wealthy people, they're the people that are literally do really actually doing great things in this world. And it's not just ego based, but they're genuine of heart and wanting to do great things with their money. They know that their purpose with their wealth is to share the wealth, you know? So I guess I don't really focus on the other types because I don't want to be around that. You're one of those people. You know, one of the one of my favorite things about you is how involved you are in philanthropy. And I see you working quite a bit with Make-A-Wish Foundation, which Lori and I love and, and we donate to as well. Why no. Make-A-Wish Foundation? Okay, so when I was going through my tough times, I remember thinking, God, I just wish somebody would help me. I just wish somebody would help me. I would always think that. That phrase would always go through my mind. So by 2012, 11, or yeah, around that time when I started finally feeling better and good about myself, I had this assistant whose mom had cancer. And this was my first time around anybody, even with cancer at the time. And barely like making it too. But, and he said like the doctor gave her like, you know, just a couple of years to live and whatnot. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, that's so sad. I can't believe it. And here I am finally excited about life. Like I'm making it, I'm doing something. And I asked him, I was like, well, does she have any kind of like bucket list or anything like she wants done before, you know, it gets worse or whatever. So he found that out for me and her wish was to go back to Japan. She hadn't been there since 1981 and she hadn't, that's when she hadn't, that was the last time that she saw her sisters and her dad and stuff. So I was like, okay, so I'm, that's her wish. So I emailed like a couple of my wealthy clients and I asked them if they would join in with me to raise money to make her wish come true. And they did literally all three of them sent me checks right away without asking anything. That's how much they trusted me. And I, and I bought her and her son and daughter, all three of them a round trip ticket to go to Japan. And then after that, I was like, Oh my God, I want to make more people feel good and make more wishes come true. And that's how I ended up with make a wish. I called them. I called the president or I, yeah, I got a meeting with the president, but I would call and make a wish and keep bugging them until they let me be a, a part of it. Cause I wanted to really, really be a part of it and to meet the kids and feel it and be a part of the families. Cause they don't really, I don't think they allow that with everybody, but they eventually allowed me to do that. So what I was like, the more I feel it, the more I'll help. I love that. What is one of your favorite make a wish, either interactions or stories? Um, honestly, Every child and every family I've met through Make-A-Wish, they're so, all of them, they're so kind, so kind-hearted. They're, these parents and these families are so strong also. 
Like I, they inspire me. I learned so much from these people and the kids are also so strong. Like kids with these diseases, like eat all of them. I can't even pinpoint one of them, but all of them really touch me in different ways. You know, like can't ask someone to pick a favorite child, right? No, right. Exactly. It's way too hard, but, and I love it. The moms always keep in touch with me. It's amazing. That's got to be really, really rewarding. What is all, if you listen to the show, you hear me ask this a lot. What is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving? I know you do it a lot in a lot of different capacities. Do you have one that sticks out that is one of your all-time favorites? Um, well, the story I just told, the Japan one, I think that was what really, because I was never taught like the power of giving growing up. I didn't know. I was actually kind of selfish. I was more about like what I want. So I started learning it on my own. But the story that I told about sending my since mom to Japan, when she hugged me and bawled her eyes out on me, like she held me for like three minutes, I remember that that changed me like forever. After that, I learned the power of giving because of her, Mm. like how much it affected her and changed her life. I would imagine. Let me ask you, you just made me think of a question that is really important for our listeners because a lot of people feel this way. You literally said at first you never were taught giving or, you know, coming from a loving place and it never crossed your mind. You just wanted really nice stuff. And so you went out and you became really successful because you were driven by really nice stuff or by wealth. But then you had this moment where you learned the impact of giving by giving away that trip to Japan and um, it changed you. So is it okay? And I don't know what the right or wrong answer to this is to each their own. But what is your opinion of people who are first motivated by shiny things? I mean, (laughs) at least they're motivated by something, right? I mean, I started that way too. But more of that, like, it was the material and the freedom. And don't get me wrong, I'm still motivated by material stuff. I love my nice purses, my nice shoes, my nice cars. But it's like I now know that... I, I can have all this, but I also need to share the wealth and help others that need it as well. And in turn, I get more of it. So I hope others that are driven by the shiny things or whatnot, that they know too, if they want even more of it to keep giving it away, you know, keep helping, keep giving it to even anybody that comes in front of you or, you know, it doesn't always have to be a foundation. There are so many ways of giving, but it's just going to help you live a more fulfilled life and you'll get more of those shiny things Mm. because yeah, I believe we can have it all, you know, that is awesome. I totally agree. And I'm, I'm one, I mean, I'm already on record for saying this, that if you're motivated by a big house or a special car or, you know, whatever it is, it does not matter because if that is what gets you out of bed and creates the machine that starts printing the money that you later become a giver with, then thank God something got you started. So be unapologetic about that. I love that. Exactly. And you just get more of it in turn. It's just how it works. You know, like it all, whatever you put out is just going to come right back to you. So, so before I ask you the last question, where can people find you? Where should they follow you? Um, you know, what's the best way to be a part of your, your life? Uh, they can find me on Instagram, which is mashyb, And then I have my website, mashy.com. I'm on Facebook under mashy.com. Um, I'm sure you'll have the spelling on it, right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. We will definitely do. Sh- we'll have it in the show notes. That'll make it easy. That way. You can click on the links in the show notes. Yes. We'll make it easy on everybody. All I, right. I thought 
sure by now my last name would change. Uh, well, you know, that's <laughs> in, in due time, in perfect timing, right? Just like you, just like you manifest those clients, you get, you got to go manifest that too. <laughs> in divine timing. for Yes. Sure. Yes. Okay. So last signature question, and it is this, why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success? Oh my God, I love this question. This is so great. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting you ask this. I have a lot of little cousins. Uh, there's like 15 of us cousins on one side of the family. And I have a younger one who recently actually told me. And the interesting thing is he was texting me when I was on my way to go to Lori's Bliss Project event. And he's like 25 years old. He finally moved. He moved to New York for law school. And I was telling him I'm going to the Bliss Project. And he goes, you know what? He's like, you're so amazing. He's like, I cannot wait till you're speaking at these events. He's like, you are so inspiring for me. He's like, you've just always been so unapologetic with, with family and with friends and just going after everything that you dream of and want, knowing that when you get there, when you get to different pinnacles, that you're always giving back to them and you're always loving them and you're always doing the right thing but you do it so freely without any guilt because you know your own good intentions. And he's like, and I love that you never allowed any of them to hold you back. And that's why I finally was able to go to New York and go to law school way across the country away from my family and not feel any guilt about it because you helped me to feel that way. Well, you're literally leading by example and that's inspiring yeah. your, your family, your friends, everybody. Yeah, I love that. I'm like, oh my God, I never knew that. Thank you so much for telling me. You know, I never knew because I didn't see it that way, you know, but I had to fight through it, especially with like the Persian culture. Like it's very, it's not like a very free spirited culture. You have to, they, the family wants you to do what they want you to do. And they think that's love, but it's not, it's control. And I was more of a free spirit who needed to do what I need to do to make myself feel good and feel happy. So I went through years of feeling guilty all the time with them. That's, I mean, there's so many people that feel that same way, right? They, they feel guilty. Yeah. They, they hold back on their success or they hide their success or whatever. And I love what you're doing. You're showing it and you're inspiring and you're starting that ripple effect. Yeah. Same thing you're doing. I love it. That's the idea. Mashid, I can't thank you enough for being on. You are the best. Your story is incredible. Like to go to those depths and then end up where you are today and to have the giving heart, the loving heart that you do. It's really a remarkable story. And thank you for sharing it with everybody. Oh my God, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I was so excited for it today. You know, it was so nice of you to be open to talk to somebody you had no idea who they were that day of the event. So. It is going to inspire tens of thousands of people and I can't wait. Oh, I hope. I hope, especially women in this day and age, you know, a lot of women, I feel like if they learn how to keep their power and know their power, they can really create whatever they want on their own terms without giving their power away. Oh, I couldn't agree more. That's a whole nother episode. We'll have to bring you back one for that one. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks. All right. I love it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. 
It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.